Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Oh me, oh my, it is Thanksgiving week. Hopefully you are wrapping up your work, getting ready to chill out and stuff your face full of food. I myself am very excited to be able to, you know, just decompress for a moment. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to this very podcast with a person who I respect their work. I respect their commitment to the DIY independent music scene that we all find so incredibly engaging and something that I still go to shows on school nights. (laughs) And I feel like I'm like 18 years old eating Del Taco at, you know, midnight whenever I'm uh, through with the show. You know, those those memories, they just never go away. They're ingrained. But anyways, I have Jonah Bayer, who plays in a band called United Nations with Jeff Rickley. He also uh, does a really, really cool podcast with his sister, Vanessa, called How Do We Get Weird, where he does a real deep dive into these these things that loomed large in many of our lives when we were younger and then being like wow was this this the point that we like got obsessed with this thing and you know it's just it's a really really fun podcast because they uh they hit on subjects that i know will resonate with listeners of this show so i highly recommend that and jonah also worked at alternative press for many years and he also was a head writer at steven's untitled rock show which is a very meaningful video music video program on uh, fuse for many years i don't know exactly i want to say three to five or so, but regardless, it was, you know, the thing that you needed to be on if you were in the independent music scene during that time. So Jonah's definitely what I like to call lifer. And he also has a ton of experience as far as writing and zines and stuff. So there's a lot of places that we went and it was really fun. You can do some favors for me. First and foremost, you can review this show on Apple Podcasts, either by leave a star review or write a few sentences. I very much appreciate that. It helps out the algorithm. And then you can also leave a star rating on Spotify. 
Again, for those of you that listen on a week-to-week basis, you're like, I'll get around to that. How about you just do it right now? Just let me give you some moments, and then you can come back. I mean, clearly you can do two things at once, right? Maybe pause the podcast and go do that. But you can also email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to get feedback, whether it's guest ideas or whatever. Just want to say hi. I'm always down for that. And speaking of saying hi, special shout out <laughs> to a friend I met at the show, the Algernon Catawaller show last night here in Orange County. Uh, his name is CJ, and he just came up to me, very nice individual, and was like, hey, are you ever going to have someone from Algernon on the podcast? And I was like, dude, that's cool. First of all, thank you for listening. And second of all, uh, I, I do plan on some point picking their brains because they definitely were awesome last night. And it's so interesting to watch these bands that, you know, ostensibly were playing in front of, you know, hundreds of people when they were around. And then now they're, you know, selling out venues across America on a reunion tour. It's wild stuff. But anyways, shout out to CJ. I always love when people come up to me at shows and are like, hey, I like the podcast and I want to talk to you about it. I'm like, all right, let's go. This is what I'm here for. Anyways, let's uh, let's dive into our discussion with Jonah. And like I said, you need to listen to his podcast called How Did We Get Weird? And full disclosure, I work for iHeartMedia and iHeartMedia distributes this podcast. So there's no weird conflict of interest sort of things. I am genuinely promoting this because I enjoy the podcast and not am some like company chill person or whatever. But anyways, here's Jonah. Let's talk about Cleveland Hardcore. first read across you probably with uh, alternative press and obviously the bylines in there at the time i was working at uh, century media records doing a and r and stuff and so acutely aware of obviously the magazine but then just the general coverage of uh, bands of that nature and i personally was always fascinated about uh you know becoming a music writer and freelance writing and i myself did a bunch of writing for you know law of inertia and <laughs> status magazine and all that stuff but I realize this might be a big question to start off, but the years that you wrote over there, uh, how did you navigate the idea? Because I know you were an editor. And so the idea of covering things that you are personally a fan of versus the things that you're just like, well, this is good because, you know, it's a cool cover, even though I might not necessarily like the band that much, like putting aside your personal preferences for making sure that you're representing the, you know, entirety (laughs) of the independent music scene. Was that a, I guess a difficult thing for you to navigate or did it come kind of naturally? I mean, I don't, that's a good question. I mean, I don't really know how well I navigated that. Cause I feel like I really pushed to just write about stuff that I was into. Um, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but I actually got my start with Ross at law of inertia. I remember your name in there, but I, I didn't, it was one of those things where I didn't necessarily, I just remember it, it was less on the reviews and more so on the interview side of things, correct? Yeah, I actually started. So I went, you know, not to take us too off track, but um, I went to school in Ithaca. Ross went to Cornell. Um, and this was in the late night in the 90s, I guess, late ish 90s. And um, yeah, he somehow we became friends going to shows and stuff. And he was like, would you ever want to write reviews? And so I started writing reviews. And then I think by my senior year, I was kind of co-editing the the zine with ross and kind of sharing a lot of the editorial duties and doing a lot of features and that sort of i kind of parlayed that into my job at ap i got it i interned for them in college and then i i did the warp tour for them in 02 and did the you know we 
did the programs and did signings with bands and all that stuff. And then I started, I got hired on as music editor there in 02 and I was there from 02 to 05. And so I kind of came from the zine world also like you. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely there were bands we had to cover that I didn't really care about. I mean, it was a really interesting time at the magazine because it was kind of transitioning from this kind of new metal disturbed, um, stained whatever type of music into more like dashboard confessional good charlotte um newfound glory so uh thursday you know all those bands were kind of on the cover right when i started and so um i felt like there was definitely stuff we didn't have to cover but i felt like one of the reasons they hired me was because i was kind of into this newer stuff that they were starting to cover more and so i really just championed the stuff i was into and then you know if we had to cover stuff that I wasn't into, I would try to just assign it to someone else or something, I guess. Right. Well, and I think you, I mean, smartly, they alternative press was understanding the evolution of the music scenes and it would make sense that they brought a person like you who has an affinity for these bands. Cause the last thing that they want to have is someone who is going to be fighting against every single, it's like, you know, if you didn't, enjoy any of those bands not only musically but personally just be like oh yeah we're not going to cover any of this and it's like wait what are you talking about (laughs) that isn't we can't do that yeah yeah and so um yeah so i think i was kind of brought in exactly for that role and i think because i came from like the zine world and that kind of diy punk world i think that was really appealing to them um which is good because i felt like i my senior college i spent more time working on the zine probably than on my like classes Right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and I I think too, it's like that, that iteration of the era of zines as they became more professional, glossy, I mean, just that wider distribution and that idea that you were able to do things that seemed professional, but were still on such a DIY level. That was the perfect training wheels for you to be able to take a step to something that is nationally distributed. And then obviously, like you said, you can sort of put your stamp on it by feeling good that you're covering, you know, the things that you mostly want to cover with a few exceptions here and there. Absolutely. And yeah, and especially with LOI, I mean, that was really Ross handled all of that stuff. I mean, I don't know how he he handled all the distribution. I mean, I felt like it was everywhere. He would do those CD comps. I mean, all the promotion, the ads, like I was really just strictly editorial. And that's, that's basically what I did at, at AP as well. That other stuff was not my department. I don't know how people do that stuff. Right. Right. I don't know how that works. And, uh, uh, totally. It's like, that's, yeah, that, uh, that's above my pay grade. They say, <laughs> yes. How, um, I'm sure there was also an element of them bringing you in because you had relationships with bands already and you were no, you know, a known quantity within the music world as far as, oh yeah, Jonah is friends with people because he's either, you know, played a show with them or exists in the same community. Uh, Was there, I guess, this is going to sound dramatic, but like pressure to exploit (laughs) those, uh, you know, like asks or it's like, oh, Jonah's friends with them. He can ask him to be on the cover or whatever. Or was it generically pretty... I guess, you know, like left alone to be like, if you need to lean on this, you can, but we're not pressuring you. I mean, what what's funny is that like, you know, I, I played in like local bands and bands in college, but I think like, you know, when I was hired on there in 02, I didn't really know a lot of people. I feel like um, in national kind of touring bands, I feel like it was really through that gig. Like I think in that warp tour, that's where I met like Jeff. That's where I met the Thursday guys. And Jeff and I would go on to, you know, form, or Jeff would have me join United Nations later, but it felt like, you know, a lot of those relationships were formed almost through AP. Um, 
so I didn't really have many relationships to exploit. Um, That's true. You know, uh, <laughs> that was at, your at entry that point. point. Right. Yeah, that was really my entry point. I mean, like I said, I would interview bands for the zine, but I wasn't really, you know, and we would interview cool bands, but I wasn't really friends with them. I didn't really have relationships. I was really just like a fan of the music who was just kind of happy that anyone would talk to me at that point. Sure. <laughs> I do love that idea, especially as you start to enter the interview space and you're getting to talk to these people who you really respect their work. And just that idea, like, why are you even spending any time with me? I know I'm going to write about you, but like, are you sure right. you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially for Law of Inertia, like, you know, interviewing people like Slash or something, it was just like un unbelievable or, you know, Jack Black or just people like could not believe it. Um or so yeah i mean it, it was it was a great experience but yeah i mean when i was at i feel like a lot of my entry to like meeting people in in touring bands or bigger bands was was through the magazine um even though it's kind of a part of that culture i guess like tangentially i was more involved with like the local punk scene in ithaca where i was going to school right right and we'll dig into that a little bit more i know you were born and raised in Cleveland, and you know I'm not going to uh, relitigate all of the uh, oh where where you know how was your family life and that sort of stuff. But because it it seems like just in listening to you know other interviews with you and just traveling alongside of you, you had a a pretty sort of typical suburban upbringing. Um, the thing I wanted to focus on was the idea that the Midwest always and still does get very overlooked, sort of culturally speaking, and. Did you, I mean, I know that you didn't necessarily understand that as you were coming up as a child, but do you still feel like that, you know, people just give short shrift of, uh, I guess, the Midwest in general and are just like, oh yeah, it's the coast. That's that's where it's at. I mean, we know that there's music scenes out there, but, you know, people only pay attention to the coasts. Yeah, I mean, I think on some level for sure, but I I think that it's like, um, you know, it's so interesting. I think you'll be able to relate to this. Like when I when I went to school, you know, you would you would see someone with like um, a hardcore shirt or a punk band shirt on and you would talk to them and you'd figure out like every I feel like every band had like one city or every band had like one kind of scene or band that you associated with it. And that was kind of like a commonality with someone, you know, someone would be like, oh, I'm from Buffalo. Be like, oh, do you like despair or like, you know, right. um, I'm from Albany, like, oh, one king down. And I felt like it really um, those places didn't maybe have a lot of things you could reference, but I felt like just having that one band um, was a real way to kind of like make friends almost. Like I'd be like, I'm from Cleveland. So I'm like, Oh, I love integrity. It's like, okay, like we have this thing in common now. Um, so I don't think it had like, like as big of a scene as maybe some other places, but I felt like, you know, every city had like those one or two bands you could reference and kind of start that conversation, I guess, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I, I think that's a good way to describe it because, I mean, now that we exist in the music scene of where, yes, bands are from an area, but it's harder to geographically pin down because all of the music, there's no you know regionality to it anymore because you don't need that. But like you said, just to be able to identify that this band came from Louisville, this band came from Seattle or whatever. And like you had just those little touch points where it's like, oh, where are you from? It's like, yeah, I mean, for you, you could definitely have two different conversations where it's like, oh, yes, I'm into integrity or it's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're one life crew, right? It's like, oh, OK, that's that's where you're at. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like I was listening to, um, you know, your podcast with Pat Carey 
And, you know, he was talking about homegrown and like going to shows and it sounded kind of carefree. And I felt like um, it was kind of scary. I feel like that scene during that era and not just Cleveland, but I felt like the surrounding areas, um, I felt like it was scary as a kid and then as i grew, got older and and made friends and formed bands it was less so but um i didn't really have that like carefree california pop punk like right. <laughs> like scene for me i guess totally yeah you were you were showing up to rooms with like legit grown adults as opposed to you know someone who's yes. like three or four years older than you yeah yeah and so yeah and it's funny to think about now like yeah like it's you know yeah it's uh it was just a different experience um and yeah, uh, it was an interesting place to kind of come up, gr- grow and see. But some of the bands that, you know, I I came up with, you know, were like Ascension or Chalkline or these more kind of like new school 90s, more metalcore types of bands. And I felt like those were really aligned with like what I was into at the time. Right. And, and, and I think and that's especially important for any kid that starts to get into a scene to have those one or two local bands that are actively playing shows and you feel like are roughly close to your age, because then you can have that, uh, you know, template to like look up to whether you decide to, you know, start a band or just take photos of them and just being like, Oh yeah, these are my, these are my people as opposed to, you know, the class that came before you, if we're using high school terms. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah. And it's like, it's all, you know, is really like your kind of local scenes and the surrounding scenes. Like I wasn't going to New York for shows. I wasn't going to California. So it sort of was just, um, whatever was around, but you know, I would, I would see a lot of touring bands that came through Cleveland. Um, and I would travel a lot. Um, you know, and me and my friend Dan were really into the same bands and we would go see, you know, if, if like hot water music or grade or, you know, one of those bands was any get up kids were anywhere near us. I felt like we would just, drive so much to go see shows especially if they weren't coming to cleveland yeah yeah that's really cool and i always loved that notion too of i mean i know most kids as they start to get some autonomy travel for shows and drive in you know a whatever two to four hour radius it just always seemed like that was more tenable from the midwest or the east coast and like you know i mean yes california has a lot of different scenes but i just love that idea of being like oh yes, friend, like let's drive five hours to see this band because that is the closest they're getting to us. Yeah, yeah. And like, like yeah, and not even thinking like, oh, we're going to be so tired. Of, <laughs> you know, like just like, oh yeah, we got to do this. Like we just have to. <laughs> totally, totally. And how did you even get exposed to the more, you know, independent minded side of things? Whether it was like, was it just kind of, your friend group started to get into things at the same time. And I mean, cause I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, your sister is older than you, right? Or no. Uh, Vanessa's two years younger. That Okay. And so, I mean, I, the only reason I mentioned that is because, you know, sometimes there's a older sibling that is able to kind of pass right. down to you. But uh, so where did you get, I guess, introduced to that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I was thinking about it. it it's a good question. I think, um, I think it was just through my friend group. Like I, I actually didn't really hang out with a ton of kids from my own school growing up. Um, I kind of hung out with kids from surrounding school and it, somehow I sort of got into punk and then I kind of gravitated towards finding these other kids. Right. Cause it's like pre-internet. Um, and it's also um, not that, you know, and you might be able to really, like not that many kids 
in my area were into this kind of stuff. Like you really, really had to seek it out. So like my friend I was talking about earlier, Dan, he wore a dead Kennedy's holiday in Cambodia shirt to school. And I was like, Oh, we should be friends. Um, because you know who the dead Kennedys are probably no one else in our entire, in this building does. Um, and so I felt like it was through that. And then I started hanging out this place Coventry in Cleveland, which is where the grog shop is. And that was sort of like, um, in the late nineties, like a big hangout, there was a coffee shop there, Arabica. And just every weekend there were just kids sitting around. It's not like that anymore, but there would just be kids just congregating. Um, cause there was kind of nothing else to do. And I felt like I saw a lot of shows down there. I made a lot of friends with kids from other schools. And then, um, I guess just through independent record stores, like going in and being like, what's good, what's cool. Um, and distros at shows obviously too. And, getting those catalogs from, um, you know, initial or very, and just kind of like buying stuff and just, just learning about it that way, going to fests, I guess all the, all the things we did before the internet. Right. Right. Just the, the, you, you couldn't consume more content from a, you know, like you talk about scenes, like there, there wasn't enough. You never felt like that was the, Oh, okay, cool. I've reached the end. And it's like, you were just always searching. And I guess you can obviously say the same thing about the internet, but I, I just like that. I, I'm just closing my eyes and kind of picturing you just wandering around, just like looking for subculture where it's just like, oh, you seem to know what's up. Like, I, I think we can, you'd probably be friends and just like, because you, you're starving for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like, like I said, like in Cleveland, that era, like there was, you know, an era bands before me. And, you know, like, um, you know, I know like, Charlie from Civ, like Outface, like there were all these bands, like Face Value. There are all these Cleveland kind of bands, but I felt like they were like a little bit the generation before me. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I was in the suburbs and um, yeah, just driving to shows and just trying to find it, we're, we're, you know, going to record stores and just not having a lot of money, but having enough to buy like a, a cassette or something and just um, hoping for the best. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't suck. And if not, that's yeah. why your your friend will buy another tape and hopefully one out of two will hit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as you started to bring this stuff home and your parents probably had no context for what it was that, you know, shows straight edge veganism, vegetarianism, like all of these things that you probably were, you know, either sampling out or talking to them about how were they, uh, I guess, concerned <laughs> For you were they just like oh what's jonah into or did they let you you know kind of find your own way within that uh, uh that scene or were they restrictive at all i would say um you know for both me and vanessa our parents were always like incredibly supportive even if they didn't really like understand exactly what's going on like they were always you know cool with me playing guitar and um you know as long as my grades were okay they they would generally would let me go to shows i don't think they necessarily understood the music um or its appeal but um i would say they were pretty pretty supportive of my musical interests and career um throughout my whole life um so i feel really thankful for that this is it it's that time of the year you need to buy gifts. You're like, what do I do? What website do I visit? How do I even buy the gifts for people that they don't even know that they need? That is where rockabilia.com can save your life. And I will save your life as well by giving you a 10% discount on your order by using the promo code 100 words or less. That is 100 words or less, 10% off your order. You will be able to go to that website. They have a bunch of new 
winter merch. We're talking about like Metallica beanies, Guns N' Roses, scarves. They have Christmas ornaments. They have misfit Christmas ornaments. Did you ever think that you needed something like that? Well, you do. And I very much encourage you to go to their website and find out about all the stuff that they have to offer. Independently run, ships from the Midwest. Go now and you'll be able to tick off all of those people on your list to be able to get gifts and you can just do it all in one fell swoop. It's beautiful. So thank you to rockabilia.com for continuing to support the show. And again, 100 words or less, 10% off. Happy, happy holidays. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I love that experience when you're able to see that parents don't, I mean, most parents don't understand like what their kids are getting into because they clearly have more, um, you know, important things from a sort of pop culture perspective. Like they care about what you're into at school, but not necessarily like, what is this Iron Maiden? I don't understand (laughs) this. Yeah. Yeah. My mom actually took me uh, to see Guns N' Roses in 1991 on the Use Your Illusion tour. Incredible. Um, and that was like sort of this life changing um, experience for me. And so, uh, yeah, and she just knew it was really important to me. And it was um, it was just like this mind blowing experience. I mean, I remember hearing like so much profanity in a, in a two hour period that like <laughs> I, I was like, I didn't know people could talk this way. Like, I didn't even know, like 
couldn't barely even wrap my head around it. Totally. Um, but <laughs> and, it was, and yeah, you're saying yeah. this in front of a bunch of people? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. You're not in yeah, trouble? Yeah, it was Guns N' Roses and, and Sebastian Bach fronted, fronted Skid Row. Um, that's, that's incredible. And just, yeah, I was like a 12, 13. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, my parents have always been really supportive, um, even if they didn't tell, you know, my parents weren't like, Jonah, can you play that Strife song again? I love that. Like, yeah. I don't think that was really happening, but um, but supportive nonetheless. Right. They let they let you do your thing, even though they may not have understood it. They're just like, this exactly. is music. He seems to be into it. So let's go. Yes. The uh, clearly the, uh, you know, comedy obviously is a, a large passion, like within your family, as far as, you know, you and your sister's pursuits. And uh especially with the fact that you know you've done a lot of different projects with your sister including obviously the uh you know podcast that we are uh, here talking about as well um you guys have always seemed to have like a very uh, healthy and collaborative relationship did it was that always the case or did you guys have to kind of arrive at a point where it's like oh okay like we get each other now later in life or you know the the understanding is there now so we we're able to work on these projects together yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think we always have gotten along well, but I do think it happened a little later. And like, like you know, from a musical perspective, like Vanessa was much into like, and we talk about this on the podcast, the more like the kind of Lilith Fair type music, although she did um, want a t-shirt when I saw Bad Religion on the Grey Race. Um, and I believe I did get her a shirt. Um, but I think that musically we didn't really weren't really on the same page. And then, you know, Vanessa um, was sick when we were in high school, she had leukemia. And so that kind of was also something else we were dealing with. And so I feel like it was more, you know, Vanessa got really into com. Our dad was always really, really funny. And I think he kind of like, um, you know, and we were really into like, you know, Chris Farley and those Adam Sandler movies and stuff as kids. But I think it was more when she went to college, she got involved with an all-female sketch comedy troupe, Bloomers, and um, got really into comedy, moved to Chicago. And I think that's more where our kind of collaboration started. Um, I was in a band called The Love Kill um, after college, who was on who Jeff from Thursday signed to his label Astromagnetics, which was like a um, subsidiary of uh, eyeball, right? Eyeball. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So, um, so a little bit of an obscure thing at this point, my people might not remember Astromagnetics, but, um, you know, we were sort of like, uh, very influenced by, um, I don't know. We were really like, you know, uh, I think our singer really liked Nation Ulysses and Mile Marker. And we listened to um, a lot, I guess like post hardcore type stuff, but we would play in Chicago and Vanessa would open for us a lot. And she was there doing comedy and she would open for us, like telling jokes, basically roasting us, um, which she did, did also with United Nations a lot. Um, and so I think that was our first collaboration was sort of um, me being in Chicago, playing music and her kind of telling jokes. And then from there we did a web series together uh, sound advice for a while and now yeah the the podcast right yeah which it, it, it's cool because i mean there's always that sibling strife that uh happens and just the evolution of people's interests and like i want to be my own individual person and not like travel in the same exact lanes or it goes the opposite direction where it's like you know you're going to shows together and you're just like attached to the hip and you know vegan straight edge since 14 years old or whatever <laughs> but like right I, right right 
I just like the fact that you have been a, like you both have traveled along your own paths, but there's clearly enough connective tissue where not only you clearly understand where each other are coming from, but then there's enough, you know, individuality that you're both able to bring your own perspectives as opposed to just like echoing exactly what each other already knows. Yeah. And so that's been cool about the podcast, especially with like, um, you know, Vanessa bringing in some of like, you know, her comedy friends and people she worked with on SNL and that kind of stuff who I might not be exposed to. And then me bringing in like Laura Jane Grace or Brian Fallon or, you know, Ben Gibbard or someone, you know, like that. Um, and really the, the, maybe the most exciting for us was Ricky Rackman from the Headbangers Ball, who we found out we were related to. And, um, had been hearing that since we were kids and didn't know if it was true and then found out it actually was true and got to talk to him about it. That was <laughs> pretty much like 30 years in the making. It's something we'd been wondering about. <laughs> Just like lingering in the background be like, man, I can't, can't wait till one day we can like get to the bottom of this. <laughs> it was, it was so well. Cause yeah, our, our grandma used to talk about it and um, I don't, I thought about, I almost invited him to my bar mitzvah as a kid and uh but we never had confirmation. And then like literally last year, Vanessa was like, I just sent him a message on Instagram and told him our grandma's last name. And he was like, talk to his mom. And I think we are related. And, uh, and then we were able to kind of do this kind of deep dive with him and, and figure it out and talk to him about it. And he was, you know, speaking of getting into music, I mean, definitely like staying up and watching that show and being exposed to like Maiden or, you know, corrosion conformity or, you know, all those types of bands was definitely also super, you know, a way I found out about music kind of pre-internet um, that was really big because there was nowhere else you could really learn about that stuff, maybe aside from college radio. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it seems like your uh, relationship and trajectory through school and kind of a life path, uh, you know, has been slightly unconventional as well, like most of us that get <laughs> swallowed by the <laughs> independent music world. Um did you, you know, as you were going through high school and be going to shows and uh, being part, being an active participant in the scene, so to speak, did you, I guess, care about school? Did you have a a plan as far as like, oh, I'm going to, you know, end up doing this because this is what my parents did or this is what my parents' friends did or anything like that? Um, not really. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, you know, unlike probably a lot of the guests on your podcast, like I was never, I played in bands a lot. Um but I was never like really like a full time. I never was like, I'm going to be a full time touring musician. I mean, I, I guess I worked at AP from 02 to 05. And then I left basically. So so the Love Kill, we did a, a five week European tour. Um, but that's probably the longest run I did. I mean, we, we did a lot of touring in the US, I guess. And United Nations has done a decent amount of touring. But um, I was never I always like had the writing sort of to fall back on. And so when I left AP, I continued to freelance I moved to New York. I wrote, you know, for Stevens Untitled Rock Show for Fuse. Um, but I never really had like a real necessarily necessarily had a plan. But I always knew that maybe writing was going to be a little more of a thing I could use to support myself as opposed to trying to like, quote unquote, kind of like make it um, in a band. And none of my bands really was, I guess I'm talking about the love code. We never really got to the point where we had to make that decision because like, we never really got big enough for that really to be an issue, I guess. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. It's it's easy to not have to make that decision when it's not really like presented to you where like you have a chance to, re- you know, it was more, I always found like touring and playing in bands to be like a fun way to kind of supplement the other things I was doing. It would never turn into really like a full time thing for me. 
Right. And I, and I, I mean, to that point too, I think that mm-hmm. even though the early two thousands was, you know, an era in which a lot of bands were starting to have inklings of like the, Oh, maybe this can be my job as a full-time touring band. But you know, prior to that, like there was really very few bands that you could point to besides like, Oh, there you got sick of it all. And maybe hate breed. And I guess poison the well too. Um, yeah, but yeah, totally. There, there's I mean, no practical yeah. application to it. Exactly what you're saying. No, I mean, the only band that we really toured with a lot, um, you know, we toured with this band, the letters organized who are later signed to nitro from Atlanta and, the other band was this band, the Pink Spiders, who ended up actually were I feel like one of the last bands to get like this huge major label deal, and they recorded I think with Rick Ocasek, and um, had like a video. But I mean, yeah, I felt like by like even by the early two thousands, I felt like it was kind of like winding down as far as like bands getting huge big deals, getting advances. I felt like that was, but also you know we were also in the kind of bands that weren't really like the type that would get that kind of stuff anyways. It was such like a, a niche kind of subculture, I guess. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, that whole, especially, I mean, I, I was familiar with the, uh, the work that you did with the band. So like existing in that sort of, you know, drive like Jay, who <laughs> nation of Ulysses like that, you know, yeah. wasn't exactly like, Oh, the, you know, sound du jour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if we had gotten like some attention from discord or something, it would have blown our mind. Like that never happened. Right. Um, <laughs> totally. But, but, Je- but Jeff liked us. And so for us, that was like a huge break because, you know, we were able to, um, you know, make a record. We did a record with um, Steven Peterson from who is in cursive is in criteria. And we did it. Who was a friend of ours. And I was a huge criteria fan. And so we did it, you know, in uh, Omaha in his basement. And we did it at the old Presto Studios where they did a lot of those Saddle Creek releases. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was fun. We were able to play with a lot of uh, great bands and and make friends. But um, yeah, it was never really um, like a viable thing where like we're like, oh, we're going to actually be able to do this and not have jobs. Right. Like we have to worry about, uh, you know, which, uh, how many managers are we going to have and which, uh, booking agents are we going to work with? It was very hand to mouth. You guys were handling it on the DIY level, like most bands do. Yeah. And, and in some ways I'm sort of, am thankful for that because even though I didn't have much of a plan, it was like, um, I was sort of doing other things. I was developing other skills. I was, you know, working a lot with writing and, um, that kind of came in really handy later in my life. So it wasn't, you know, the worst, it wasn't the worst situation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And did you, as you started to have those experiences with uh, touring and, you know, playing shows and stuff like, cause what, I mean, was the love kill like your actual first band or did you play in something prior to that? No, I played in a lot of bands. I mean, I played, um, in a band called plug that was my first band when i was like 15 16 like a punk band we played the the high school talent show um started a mosh pit our singers spit in the audience they said they were never going to have another talent show perfect um perfect in our school <laughs> it's so funny it's so sort of, like our principal said this to us like we were going to be really upset and we were like that is the coolest thing ever <laughs> we shut down the talent show forever um they ended up having more talent shows. We we were not invited to play, as far as I remember. Um, but um, no, it's in a lot of bands. Do, you know, we're doing you know a lot of like Misfits covers or um, you know bands all through college. And so so I was in a lot of bands before that. Um, but the Love Kill, I guess, was like 
right when I moved back to Cleveland when I was 22, when I started working at AP and I had known a lot of those people for, for a long time. Um, Craig, our drummer, our drummer who has played on the record was in that band Ascension. I really like, it was all kind of people I knew or grew up with. So, um, that was my first real band. I feel like that we actually toured with though, and like had like an actual record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And did you like, I know you said like touring was, was fun to a certain extent because you were able to, you know, do that whole thing of just experiencing the world and seeing cities you normally wouldn't see and stuff like that. But, but did you, I guess, like touring or was it more of a, um, I guess, task for you maybe based on your personality or you know anything else that uh, was happening in your life i i mean i think i liked it at that point you know um like i said i was in my early 20s i didn't really have a lot of expenses um you know we were we're not playing you know big places but i i think i, I found it fun to be you know a part of it and and having those adventures and then you know there were a lot of bands that i feel like i kind of toured with later in life like um like Limbeck, like Limbeck came through Cleveland and they were going to Canada and they were like, you should come. So I remember going out with them for like three or four days when they were out with like Newfound Glory Cartel in the early November and just are touring with Thursday. I like, I would just go out on tour a lot with bigger bands and just kind of hang out. Um, and that was, I, you know, that was always was really fun. Just, you know, spending time with friends, seeing different places. Um, so I enjoyed it, but I think, um, you know, I think it was just tough because we never really made any money. I mean, yeah. and you know, we never, you know, our record, you know, came out, I think, really towards the end of the band. I think we broke up pretty soon after the album came out. I think it took a, a long time to come out. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we like I said, we went over to Europe twice, once for five weeks. And then we did a shorter run with this band, No Idea Band, Army of Ponch. Um and it was fun. Like I said, I, I think we made a lot of friends, but it was never, um, it was more like in Europe, like sightseeing or like it was never, I don't think we, I don't remember ever coming back from tour with, with actual money really. Yeah. I mean, in, in the love kill, in the love kill. To- for sure. I mean, I think the idea of the fact, like once the notion of per diem started to exist for bands being like, wait, what it, you get, you take $10 yeah. out of the band fund. Like, and that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, we were always like an opening band and sometimes, you know, it's like, or like playing those shows in New York where you're with like seven different bands and they all sound different and you have to like, you know, to pay to play. I felt like we toured and played shows with a lot of amazing bands, but mostly always they sounded completely different from us and people either liked us or didn't care at all. Right. Right. Um, something I also find really cool about the trajectory of all the different projects you work on, uh, especially, you know, with alternative press. And like you mentioned with Steven's untitled rock show, a a lot of it, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, definitely seems the, uh, relationship basis where there is the fact that like, oh yes, Jonah knows how to put, you know, pen to proverbial paper, but the idea of like, oh, you're going to, you know, write on this video you know, talk show thing and like be the head writer and stuff like that, that, you know, clearly wasn't something that you had done before, but you had enough experience to be able to, you know, kind of put one foot in front of the other. Um, Was it, uh, was it one of those things that you were excited to do? Or as these new adventures kind of popped up, you always felt the, you know, terrifying notion of like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to suck at this, (laughs) be terrible at this, or did you just kind of try it and see if it uh, worked out? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say both, you know, um, you know, I have a master's degree now in counseling. And so it's like, you know, imposter syndrome, that's like a term we hear a lot now that wasn't a term back then. But um, I definitely feel like a lot of those experiences, I was like, I sort of know what I'm doing, but I sort of, I'm just going to go with it. And for Steven's show, I had never written for TV before. And I think Steven really went to bat for me and was like, you should hire this guy. And I think um, he had to maybe fight a little bit to get me that job. And, um, you know, which was so, so great of him. And we would, you know, we, we did podcasts going off track later. So it was great to work with Steven again. I still, still talk to Steven all the time, but yeah, it, it was difficult. You know, I think at first for me writing for TV, I mean, I don't know if you've ever written for TV, we had a program where, um, it would time out how many words you'd have to type a certain amount of words and it would have to fill a certain amount of airtime on TV. And I was writing questions for the bands and then all these segments. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was tough at first. And I think it got easier the longer I did it. Um, but, um, yeah, it's one of the things I was like, this is sort of what I do, but not really, but I'm just going to hope for the best, I guess. Right. Well, and I think too, just that idea, especially too, when you are, developing these these skills like you wouldn't even call it that but just you know doing the interviews and doing all the things that you kind of collectively roll up into just being a participant of you know playing shows in the punk hardcore community you don't know you're actually having these things that you could put on a resume because most people would just be like what playing in a band doesn't you know doesn't show you budgeting skills and you're like yeah it actually does (laughs) you know yeah yeah Absolutely. And I think so much of it is also is um, interpersonal skills. And I think it's like just making friends with people or like, you know, I think I met, you know, Stephen on Warped Tour. And, you know, I think a lot of it is just like, oh, I like this person's personality. This is someone I'd like to work with and be around more. Um, I think that's such a big piece of it as well is just the social aspect and just kind of, you know, we had a lot of common ground with the bands we liked and um, just being kind of like, getting very deep into music. And so um, I think that's a big piece of it as well. Sure. And, and on that topic too, the, uh, you know, social aspect of you as a person had, were you, you know, shy as a kid and then going to shows kind of helped you opened up or has your sort of, you know, out, outgoing personality that I uh, attribute towards you just kind of, you know, <laughs> sort of existing alongside of you um was that something that you had to i guess learn to put yourself out there or was it generally speaking something that you were comfortable with in certain circumstances yeah i mean i think it's something that um you know i still i'm still working on um i feel like uh like i feel like vanessa you know is much more kind of obviously has done a lot on TV and stuff. And she, she is much more performative. I feel like even when I'm on stage, a lot of the time I'm kind of like facing our drummer or the, you know, and uh, you know, doing the podcast and writing, I feel like um, I guess it's like public facing stuff, but it's not necessarily about me. Um, so that's something that's like a little bit new um, is sort of like doing I mean, I've done a lot of interviews, I guess, or a lot of podcast interviews, but I- I'm never really entirely comfortable always talking about myself, but I like interviewing other people. I like um, collaborating with music with other people. I, li- I like I like, like the act of the making things, but I don't necessarily always feel comfortable sort of being like the center of attention. Like, I don't feel like I'm 
like Steven can host and can can do that stuff and can be super high energy. Like I feel like I can I can't be like, hey guys, what's up? Like that's just not right. who I am, I guess. <laughs> but 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 I can I can put myself out there enough to you know engage with people and and I like I like talking to people. I like having those conversations. Um, but I don't feel like I'm necessarily like super performative, even when I'm performing if that makes sense evilgreed.net is a place that you should visit because they are a purveyor of fine web stores for a select amount of bands and record labels and when i say that they almost act like a record label because they have a highly curated view of the types of bands that they work with knowing full well that if you're into this type of band you'll probably be into this type of record label and so on and so on i love those things but the most important thing before you visit the website is use this promo code 100 words so will get you 10% off of your entire order. And these are just some of the bands and record labels that they work with. We're talking about Stray from the Path. We're talking about Sanguiskabag, which is I've never said out loud, and but I love the band. <laughs> they also have Death Heaven stuff. They have Blood Incantation. They have Nails, Emma Ruth Rundle, Gate Creeper. They also work with Triple B Records and Closed Casket Activities and Sergeant House. Needless to say, you will find a lot of stuff if you are anything like me and finding similarities between all of those bands and record labels. You will very much enjoy what they do. They work out of Berlin, Germany, but they ship worldwide and the shipping is very reasonable and comes to you very quick. So, I would suggest you checking this out before you make any holiday purchases because I can give you 10% off by using that code 100 words. Again, evilgreed.net, 10% off, 100 words. Go buy some stuff. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. And especially, too, where that idea that you can still, you know, be creative putting yourself out there. But like you said, you don't have to be that center of attention. You're like, well, that's not where my strengths lie. <laughs> I'm not going to yes. be the, that loud person yes. in the room. I'll be like, yes, if you'd like me to ask some thoughtful questions, you know, I can I can do that. But like, do you want me to, you know, juggle in front of people? Like, I can't do that. Right, right, exactly. And I love seeing bands that are like that. And like, the, I think that's, that's so cool when people can do that. That's just, yeah, that's not exactly the angle I kind of take, I guess. Right, right. And I'm sure getting used to the medium of TV and, uh, you know, I know that there were occasions where you, you know, probably had to make some, uh, you know, on screen appearances, and then clearly you've done, you know, web video for a while. Uh, what was that a huge learning curve for you to like, oh, what do I do with my hands on screen? <laughs> was there a lot of that going on? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I feel like when I was at, and maybe, maybe that's how I met Steven. I felt like when I was at AP, they would occasionally like fly us out to New York 
to be on fuse to be on camera and uh yeah i felt like it's probably so terrible to watch now i mean i think i have like dvds buried but yeah i i think it took me a while to kind of get get comfortable especially with with being on camera um and i I I probably was is so was not good to watch i mean i probably was so nervous and i remember i remember being on there and then being like you can talk about this. Don't talk about this. And like my leg was moving a lot and I had my keys on. Like I felt like it was always <laughs> just kind of like thrown to the wolves a little bit. Um, but I think it's also one of those things where as you get older, you get a little more confident or you maybe care a little less about what people think. And you kind of um, just kind of get more used to it. But, but I do think like, you know, and it was also like fuse, you know, seemed like a, a really big, deal back then um i think it might be hard for people to to understand maybe the influence of 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 these places like back that like alternative press or fuse or those places in the early 2000s mid 2000s like they were um you know a lot of people engaged with that media and so it was it was um yeah i don't know it's i think it's it's different now like with the internet being so prevalent don't you think Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is no central information repository for people to point to besides, you know, their own algorithms or their own personal preferences or their own, you know, friend circle. It definitely, yeah, it it, it is fractured to the point of where it's difficult to, you know, put back together. But to your point, there is that, you know, idea of what you were talking about before, just kind of the, um, the access point for people either being, you know, regionality or just understanding the fact that there is like a local scene. I think that even though the internet exists, people still have to have something physical to go to and commune with, you know? And so I think that will, that's a very important thing for people to have that touch point, you know? Absolutely. And I love that, you know, I saw that you had on like Chris from Elliot recently. I mean, that was a band that I loved and used to see a lot and, Cleveland Buffalo and stuff. And so it's, to me, it's so cool that people like those bands are, are back together and playing shows and people are excited. I mean, cause it feels to be like, I mean, it feels like a lot, 20 years ago, it feels like, you know, I'm, I just turned 43. It feels like a lifetime ago that that stuff was happening. And it's so cool that to see it kind of happening again and people being interested in it. Right. Like the recognition that, you know, yes. e- even people may not have been able to attend those shows back then because they were too young. Right. But yeah, the accessibility right. of it is is really special and that, you know, gives ban I mean, I don't think anybody could have predicted the uh, you know, meteoric rise of a band like My Chemical Romance to be like, oh yeah, they can t- they're totally gonna sell out stadiums in a couple of years, even though that wasn't their ambition <laughs> at the get-go. It was just yeah. like, oh well, I guess we're I guess we're here. And that's awesome. It's so cool to see that. Yes. Um the you've also been really entrenched in the podcast medium for you know for many many years like you mentioned going off track and obviously the show you're doing with your sister now and then you've had a lot of uh, you know uh, stints with either you know executive producing writing for other shows what like what got you introduced and attracted to the medium of podcasts uh, in general yeah i mean i think it was steven really um you know steven's on Twitter rock show got canceled and um, I think we had wanted to work together again. And then um, Stephen had a friend, Brad, um, who's in the span, the goops, and he had just started working at this studio in Brooklyn rubber tracks. that was owned by Converse where they recorded unsigned bands for free. And I don't know exactly. I want to say this was 06, maybe 07. And so Stephen was like, my friend has a studio. 
we can use it, we can invite people in. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, it felt like it was fairly early on. Like I remember when the podcast started, we had to, you know, a lot of, I'd tell people I had a podcast and they'd be like, what, what is that? I don't know what that is. Like you'd have to explain it a lot to people. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we started doing that. Uh, I think our first guest was Joe from fallout boy. And then we did that for, yeah, probably six years or something. And then at some point, um, one of our, one of my favorite guests, one of our favorite guests was, was Benny plays drums and gaslight anthem. And so we eventually bought Benny, Benny in as a host. And then Benny and Brad are still doing the podcast. Um, I think regularly they still do it. Um, but I did about around 300 episodes and we did them all, you know, face to face in person interviews. We did live podcasts and, um, yeah, I learned a lot about the medium. And so, you know, I, when I left New York, they kept doing it and I, um, yeah, I, I started doing more kind of production work on podcasts. Um, when I was in school, I was a audio production major. Um, so I, I had done some, a little bit of editing here and there. And so I produced a podcast, um, companion for, for iHeart about the show search party It was hosted by Bo and Yang and, um, I produced some other podcasts here and there and hosted some others. So yeah, I, I find it to be a really exciting medium. I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, and uh, I've actually taught classes in the adjunct professor about podcasting. I've re- I really just like learning about the medium and studying it. And it's, it's to me, it's like very exciting because um, it feels also still feels kind of new, even though I think we're getting to the point a little bit where like people are like, Oh, you have a podcast. It's like almost like, Oh, I'm, you're a DJ. Like, it's like this thing that like everyone does now. Yep. Um, but, uh, but you know, yeah, we started pretty early, but I imagine, you know, you did too. I know you have, you know, 500 something episodes. So I'd imagine it probably has been a similar experience for you kind of having to explain it to people. And now to people, you know, being like, wow, you have so many of these, you must have gotten in so early. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there definitely is that. But I, I do think the, especially people, that have gotten into subculture, like it, it really feels so akin, even the podcast industry in general to the music industry and how there are so many different levels you can operate at, whether you're, you know, signing to a major and, you know, doing that versus right. like, you know, getting picked up by a major podcast network or whatever. It, it feels so akin to it. And I, I think people that have experience on both sides of the industry, both podcast and music industry are able to see the similarities between the two. For sure. And I really like doing the long form interviews, you know, which is kind of like what I feel like zine interviews were like, um, and maybe not as much mainstream interviews, I feel like have kind of moved away from that a lot. Maybe, maybe in recent years, not as much, but I like doing the kind of long form interviews going off track was obviously very like kind of tangential, and I think probably the same as you is like, um, you know, just basically like an excuse to catch up with friends or someone whose music you really admired getting, you know, try to like make them your friend. Like I remember before he passed away, um, having Scott Hutchinson from Frightened Rabbit on the, on the show and just really feeling like it was this great interview and sort of connecting with him and staying in touch afterwards. And um, those moments were really, really kind of special. And then, you know, you know, Scott sort of losing Scott being this really kind of difficult kind of a sad moment as just like someone who knew him and also not well, but someone who really admired his songwriting. And then I kind of moved into, you know, getting a master's degree in counseling and then sort of moving into that. And now, um, 
you know, I want to work with bands and musicians on sort of mental health issues. Um, and I've been writing a lot about the intersection of music and mental health. And so I feel like all this stuff is is related, but it's all been this kind of like zigzaggy line um, between these different things that might not look connected. But then when you zoom out, you're like, oh, I can sort of see it. I I, I love that description because I, I do think that there are, especially when you're talking about all of these different disciplines that you are traveling in, whether it's, you know, long form conversations or, uh, you know, therapy and like all, all of those things can be pulled together because at the end of the day, they're all referencing not feeling alone, community, being able to identify with, you know, a piece of art, like all of these things, like you said, may seem very disparate, but they all at the core of it, they're all existing for many of the same reasons, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there can be a lot of commonalities between like a podcast interview and, and a therapeutic interview. And um, yeah, like you're talking about, you know, I feel like almost every press release now I get about a band, you know, address can almost addresses, you know, some form of mental health. And so I feel like that's become such a, such an important thing to talk about in in the music community and and the underground music community and i think there's so much more attention paid now to touring and sort of like how difficult it is and sort of uh i don't know it's just i think there's just like i feel like when i was when i was coming up in this scene a lot of it was sort of like yeah this is just like the way it is and now i feel like there's a little bit more of like questioning of like yeah, maybe this is a way, but how can we change it? Or is this really good for our people's health or mental health? Or um, I think there's just a lot more kind of examination, introspection about things instead of just accepting them for the way they are. And I think that's probably, you know, a, a positive shift um, to looking at some of, you know, cause I, some of the stuff, you know, I feel like I saw when I was going to shows was like really <laughs> dangerous and scary and it's like kids shouldn't have to see that. Um, it uh-huh. should be like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, I don't know. Maybe scenes are still like that, but I don't, I don't, I don't get the sense that it's as scary going to a hardcore show as maybe it was in 1995. Yeah, I know. I, I completely agree with you. There definitely is, you know, a less threatening aura, the more that it becomes aware, you know, like just even saying whatever, even making fun of the idea that people didn't know what podcasts were 10 years ago in the same way that if you even just mentioned punk and hardcore to your average civilian, they're going to have at least, they've heard the term, even though they may not have an understanding of it. And I I think you're, you're correct. And just the fact that there is uh, far less, there's still an element of danger from stage dives and mosh pits or whatever, but not to the extent of, yeah, like what you're talking about of just being like, Oh, like literally someone could get killed because I'm in the middle of a crew fight or whatever. Right. Right. And so I think, uh, yeah. And I think that it's, yeah, I think it's just a completely different thing. And I think having that attention to, um, to mental health and obviously so many people in bands, you know, struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety or, you know, substance abuse or, or, or trauma. And so I think those are the conversations I'm really interested in having. And I feel like I was reading a lot about a lot of psychology books and just really interested in it. And then I feel like at some point, um, you know, you know, my, my wife also, uh, is an academic and she works, you know, with, with trauma and, and I don't know, it just at a point became really interesting to me. And so merging that with music just sort of seemed like my next, my next kind of thing I was interested in doing. Um, and also, you know, 
being a full-time music writer is is not an easy way to make a living believe it or not right no really (laughs) i totally thought you had made at least one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year on byline i know i know i know i know you yeah yeah so that's it also it, it all kind of aligned and then um you know, me and Vanessa had wanted to, to work together for a long time since we did our web series. And so um, that kind of came together. So it's, yeah, it's really just all of these things uh, kind of like coming together as far as just like timing and just, um, you know, people's interests. And uh, yeah, I feel really, really happy with, with where I'm at now. Um, you know, I still do write for Spin and Flood and, and I do bios for bands and I feel like I'm still kind of involved in music, um, I'm not. I don't really go to shows. I live in a very rural area, but um, but yeah, I think like mental health and music are are kind of the things I'm really focused on right now, um, and it's been really really validating and, and kind of a breath of fresh air, but also sort of familiar in the same way. Yeah, I like I like that because you're following the things that you're interested in, but you're always going to bring your own personal experience and knowledge and uh, you know baggage. <laughs> with the right whatever it is you're interested in which is so um it's cool because it's coming from a a different point of view than just you know a person who has gone through the traditional um you know education system which i mean you clearly did as well but just having a little different like oh yeah i approach it a little bit later in life so i actually cared about school when i went to it as opposed to (laughs) maybe just absolutely yeah i love it it's totally different it's totally different yes yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the uh, focusing on, you know, the how, how did we get weird podcast like that? The the notion of talking to people about what their experience was, whether it was, you know, I really like the uh, Jeff Rickley as a latchkey kid, like just that notion of latchkey kids, like people don't necessarily know about that topic anymore. And like all of these different experiences that may seem unique to this person, but then a lot of other people experience it, but it definitely is not mainstream. You you focus on these things. And I'm sure there are a lot of commonalities that you see within all of these different, whether it's a subculture of something they were obsessed with, or just the common human experience. Uh, Is it fun for you to kind of pull out these things and be like, oh, this is like, you know, going to a show with 15 people. Like, I see why you cared about this or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it really was an organic thing because I feel like I would think of something from our childhood and then I would text Vanessa like, do you remember this thing? And then, you know, I would spend all this time on Wikipedia looking it up. And so I felt like that was really kind of the genesis for the podcast. But yeah, it's interesting. Like, yeah, and I, was, I guess like what I have found most interesting about it is just how little how little there was sort of without the internet with having like five TV stations and just, just how everyone from like a certain era or certain age group kind of has so many of the same references, Um, which I don't necessarily think people growing up today do because you can really like just engage in your interests. Um, But yeah, so many things that I forgot about that someone will bring up and I'll be like, Oh yeah. And then they'll be like, what about this? And what about this? And I feel like it's, it's really fascinating that so many of us, you know, whether you're into punk or hardcore or not, had such similar experiences and such similar reference point as kids. And then especially if you were into punk or hardcore, you know, you were into these certain labels. I mean, it just seems like it felt like such a kind of a shared experience when you meet someone like from that era who is into the same stuff because it felt so kind of 
insular, I guess. Um, like, I feel like, you know, we've never met, but I feel like probably if we got coffee together, we would, you know, have a hundred mutual friends and like a lot of the same records, um, even though, you know, we grew up on, you know, totally different places. Oh, right. So, well, yeah, the fact that you mentioned Ascension and I'm like, God, I need to listen to that Ascension record. Like, it's, oh my God. <laughs> So they got those, both of those records, uh, Abomination and Years of Fire got remastered and put on Spotify. Oh, they, they did. Our, uh, our... So you can actually find them easily. And uh, yeah, and they were from, that band was from Sugar, Sugar and Falls. They were like from really like exactly where I grew up. That's so. That's amazing. Um, didn't it, Sean, Sean Bonner re-released, the, re-released those, didn't he? I think on his, I can't remember. Yep. Yeah, Sean, Sean put out, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Toy Box. Toy Box. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and then uh, somehow I got, I connected with him on Twitter, and he sent me a vinyl copy of uh, of Abomination like a couple years ago, and Amazing. it's like one of my prized possessions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anyone's listening, they were like uh, Cleveland metalcore at its finest. I, I think they were just such a such a great band, but not a very well known band. I didn't I didn't think I was. I'm very impressed that you know who they are. Well, I always could, I appreciate that, but I, I think that you and I would have a real fun time being like, "Hey, remember that band on Eulogy?" It's like, "Oh yeah, Bird of Ill Omen" or whatever. Just like, right, <laughs> we right, could, we could do that. But I, I always compared Ascension, where it was like, "Oh yeah, it was like the you know sort of like little stepbrother to Disembodied, except you know, yep, just it, it just didn't hit in the same way because obviously a more limited touring experience." But I, I, I love the idea of what you're talking about in regards to just the. Everybody was feeling, especially pre-internet, everybody was feeling like they were having these, you know, unique or interesting experiences without having any way to communicate those experiences. And so we all were left to our own devices with just like, man, I think I'm the only person into this, you know, man, I, I think I'm the my only friend that plays, you know, Temco Bowl on Nintendo, even though you're like, oh, no, like everybody played that <laughs> or whatever. Right. Right. And it, the wild part is like, you know, going to see some some show, like seeing a center, seeing one of these bands and thinking like. There's no way you would think like 20 years from now, you're going to be talking about this show or this band. (laughs) Like it's so, so it seems so obscure and so esoteric. And then I feel like half of my conversations as an adult are like talking about what shows I went to and like comparing notes with people. It's, it's just so, so wild. It it totally is. And I, I think that really speaks to the fact that when you become involved or obsessed with something and you know invest a lot of time into it you are going to find people that have also done the same thing and then you can have these really funny conversations about things that most people just makes their eyes gloss over and they're like what are you talking this is ridiculous and it's like yeah but it's awesome yes exactly (laughs) i think you absolutely nailed it (laughs) well jonah thank you for hanging out we did this and um you know you uh you can add this to your uh your bucket list of podcasts because i know that uh you know you're in a pursuit of collecting at least 100 podcast appearances i think (laughs) no (laughs) yeah thanks so much for having me on i really appreciate it like i was looking through um through the guests and there's yeah so many so many episodes i need to catch up on just so many uh (laughs) It's all your friends, people man. That I, it's all, all your so friends. So many of my friends. Yeah, so many of my friends and so many people I admire. And so I really um, appreciate you having me on and kind of including me. It really makes me feel good. Wasn't that just a pleasant hang? Thank you very much, Jonah, for making time out of your day. And uh, I was excited to get to know what he is trying to pursue in life now in regards to, um, you know, all the stuff he's doing. It's it's really, really cool. 
And like I said, please listen to the podcast. How did we get weird? It is very enjoyable. A, a great hang. Good listen. You feel like you're actually learning about the person as opposed to, you know, maybe some of those podcasts where you talk to a person for like two hours and you don't really feel like you get to know them at all. Not naming any names, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Starting podcast beef. Anyways, let's talk about who's on the show next week. I am so stoked that Graham Sale from High Viz is on the show next week. I'm incredibly stoked because I love High Viz. I got keyed into them probably about a year and a half or so ago, and then I got to see them for the very first time at Outbreak Fest over in the UK. And uh, they had a set that by their own personal description, was legendary. They just had a great crowd reaction, and it was super fun. And on top of it, they just put out a record that I am absolutely in love with and may or may not be on my top 10 of the year list, but I got to hang out with Graham, and we we, we chopped it up. We got into it. So that is what's on the show next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.